0: Welcome to New City's Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. Hey, New City, Pastor John here. We are continuing our series called Form to Flourish, Choosing the Path to Thrive. Last week, we talked about choosing personal worship, about reorienting our lives around Jesus. And this week, we're going to be talking about choosing the gathered worship, what we're doing here on Sunday evening, which is ironic because I'm not there, right? Um, Actually, uh, we had some sickness in our house, and we decided not to risk getting anyone else sick. So we're uh, doing a sermon via video today, which is not our normal practice, and a little bit ironic given the subject. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Lord, we just ask that you would change us, that you would make us more committed to one another and more committed to worship you together. We pray, Lord, that if there's any hint of legalism in our hearts, Lord, that we feel compelled to do things for the wrong reasons, that you would change those motivations to be grace-infused and grace-empowered rather than guilt and shame-ridden, And so even as we talk about being the church and gathering as a church, we pray that we would find a fresh power to do that through the gospel. In your name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of God. I went to Auburn University in southeastern Alabama, and occasionally I would go with some friends to their homes in North Alabama, and we would have to drive from down to Montgomery and then up I-65 towards Birmingham. And as you drove through sort of the rural part of Alabama, there was, you know, some Alabama beauty, red clay and these, you know, trees and forests, Ah, uh, rolling hills at times, but there was this one spot that you would get to about halfway between Montgomery and Birmingham, and it, it, you could see it off in the distance. It was this sign, and and there was something unusual about the sign that got your attention. And as you drove up to it, you would you would see this like w- water wheel well, which would get your attention even more. But then, as you looked at the sign, there was this in-your-face message that someone had put there, and the sign said this. Go to church or the devil will get you. And I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, where the heck am I? This is not South Florida. After growing up in South Florida and going to Alabama, I was like, this is this place is weird, right? But it's interesting to think about that sign. It says, Go to church. Now we know that we don't go to church, so to speak. We are the church. We we are the church. We're called to be the church in the world. And yet it's maybe helpful to think about the church as the church gathered and the church scattered. Sunday evening, we come together and we're the church gathered. And then the rest of the week, we go out to represent Jesus in our families, in our in our homes, in our places of work, and we're the church scattered. But I think a lot of people, maybe more and more people, are not choosing the church gathering. We've seen trends where people are choosing church less and less. And I think maybe that's because they're finding meaning in community elsewhere. I remember one time I went to tour the Budweiser Brewery in St. Louis. We lived just two miles away from it and we went and took a tour and the tour guide was showing us around the brewery and he said, um, he said, this is my church. And I thought about those. Like, what does he mean by that? And I think what he means is he's finding community and the fact that he feels like he's part of bigger something bigger than himself there at the brewery. And I think that's true for a lot of people, whether it's other communities or online communities, they don't find what they're looking for in church. And so they don't choose the gathering, but also church is messy, right? We know that you can get hurt by the church and sometimes that's bad. And sometimes it's just normal, but it's, it's messy and it's hard. And so because you have church hurt, sometimes you don't want to choose to gather with the church but also sometimes it's just inconvenient, right? Like I'm not there today because I'm sick, but a lot of times um, you're busy, right? You go out of town and things like that, and some of that's just normal. But I wanna challenge you this year as we continue in the series, Form to Flourish, I wanna challenge you to choose the church gathering. Even when you doubt, choose the church gathering. When you're tired, choose the church gathering. Even if you have conflict with someone in the church, choose the church gathering. Because to be the church, that really starts with us gathering as the church. And one of the reasons we have this goal of reaching 77 people on Sunday evenings is really we want to emphasize, let's choose to worship and gather together as the people of Jesus. And today, briefly, I just want to talk about the people, purpose, and pledge of the church gathering. The, The power for gathering is gospel made people. Verse 19 through 21 says therefore brothers and sisters since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. There's a lot of churchy words there in those couple verses, right? Like the word sanctuary, right? That's a churchy word and we think of the church building when we think of the sanctuary. But then there's this word, the curtain, and sometimes churches have curtains that separate different places on the stage. And and then there's this word, the house of God. And even as we read of those things, we're we're to see actually that it's not the church building that the author's talking about. Rather, he's talking about a gathering of gospel-made people. The sanctuary is like the throne room of God, where a holy, perfect God dwells. Now, if you think that you're uncomfortable when you've gone to a new church, maybe it's your first time tonight, and you're like, I didn't know what I was getting into. I hope people are gonna be nice and not talk to me too much, but not leave me alone. Like, that's uncomfortable. Think about going into the throne room of God and how uncomfortable that would be with a perfect, righteous God and you being a, a flawed sinner that you are. But Jesus, because of what he's done for us in the gospel says, follow me into the presence of God. We get to approach God with boldness through the curtain. And that word curtain specifically is referring to the holy of holies in the temple, the very room where God dwelled. And when Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem, the temple curtain torn from top to bottom, showing that now there was access to God, that now God wasn't separated. Rather, Jesus, because of the forgiveness and righteousness that we get through him, we're allowed to come into the presence of God. And in fact, it says that the curtain itself is Jesus's broken body. And then lastly, he says the house of God, and that, that's not the building, that's the people. We're the house of God. There's a priest that's over us who represents us to God, there's a there's a gap between a holy and perfect God and weak, sinful people who struggle to believe. In Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, is the priest and representative between us. He's he's human, and so he he gets it. He he sees our struggles and our pain, and he goes, "Man, I've been there. I've lived that out." Yet because he's God, he's sinless, and so he's the only one that can bridge the gap between us. So as we think about a church, it's less about being a building with a pastor and more about being a people who have a priest and that priest's name is Jesus. And as we grasp onto these things that are held out to us in the gospel, we'll start to realize the power for gathering together is being a new kind of people, a people made by the gospel. Like we just sang in the song, because we were beggars, but now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. And that's not talking about the walls of the building singing, but the people in the building. So we are the gathering. And the power for gathering is being a gospel-made people, a people who have been made by the power and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. One time I talked to someone and I just said, hey, man, you should really get plugged into a local church. You should gather with other believers regularly, even if it's not our church, you still should find a gathering to plug into. And he said to me, well, I'm part of the worldwide church. And because these gospel realities are true for me, I don't really need to settle into a local church. And I challenged him. I was like, man, that's like being married and telling your wife we're married but I don't really need to have relationship with you because we're married and I don't have to come home because we're married. You know, it doesn't even make any sense. The, the part of being empowered by the gospel to be a gathering of people means that we're joined together. And when we're joined together, we come together on Sundays. We have a specific purpose. When, when I was in high school, we had some teachers that we really liked. And like at the beginning of class, They would like gather us together, right? They would be like, okay, it's time to learn. And we didn't want to learn. So we'd be like, you know, Mr. So-and-so, can we watch a movie today? And he'd be like, no, you can't watch a movie. The reason we're gathered here together is for a purpose and it's learning. Well, the same for the church. The purpose for gathering is gospel-shaped worship. As we're this new kind of people, we come together to worship. Now, listen to the words that the author of Hebrews writes. He says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. When he says, let us draw near, what does that mean? Are we supposed to think about our own private experience, maybe our personal devotions? Well, of course. But we're also supposed to think about us coming near to God together. That's what we call corporate worship. As these gospel-made people, we come and do gospel-shaped and gospel-fueled worship together. Listen, we, we come with true hearts. What that refers to is the new covenant where God has actually come in and given us hearts that are convicted by sin and want to serve him. Sometimes people say to me, I really need a new heart. And I'm like, well, Jesus gave you a new heart, and the reason that you can sense sin in your heart is because because of the new covenant, you have a new heart that is sensitive to him. Praise God. We worship as a transformed people with true hearts and in full assurance of faith. That means we come uh, not trying to prove something to God, like we don't come to worship to like get brownie points with God. Rather, we come knowing that Jesus invites us. We look to Jesus together as weak and sinful people who struggle to believe. In him, we have full assurance of faith. And we come with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Some people stay away from church because they're like, man, I don't want to feel guilty. But we worship as guilty people who have been cleansed. The the priests in the Old Testament would sprinkle blood as a way to symbolize atonement for sin. And in the new covenant, our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. That means we come and we're haunted by our past. Um, We feel like we have to atone for ourselves. We know the guilt of our sin. And yet through Jesus, we're cleansed. That's all forgiven by what Christ has done. And just to drive the point home, he says, the body's washed in pure water, referring to our baptism together. Now, too often we think of baptism as like this individual expression, I'm going public with my faith. That's not wrong, but that's not all it is. A body's washed in pure water. The the baptism is meant to be a, a sign that you're now part of the family. When you're baptized, you have the words, The father, the son, and the holy spirit spoken over you because now you're part of this family together. See, all of these things that we're doing, this language of drawing near is meant to make us think of our own personal life, but also drawing near to God together through gospel shaped worship. The author goes on and says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. I I love that term, confession of our hope, that that we confess that we have hope that cannot be taken from us because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus and his promise to us. And we kind of use that in the worship service as well. We have times of confession, confession of sin. We do confession of what we believe, and we receive pardon when we confess our sins together because why? Why? we're rehearsing the gospel together. We gather together, not just to worship some, some ambiguous God, we gather together to worship the God of the gospel. And so the gospel shapes all of our worship, whether it's being cleansed from our guilt, we rehearse that together when we gather to worship, whether it's the fact that we we need our, our consciences cleansed or whether we need to be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus. This passage is not just pointing to us doing it alone, but entering into these gospel realities together through gospel-shaped worship. The purpose of gathering is gospel-shaped worship. And then lastly, the pledge of the gathering is gospel-fueled love. Man, there's such misconceptions about what church is supposed to be. You know, a lot of people think about like, I don't need church, I can be a solo Christian. And you really just can't do that. Even the way the Bible's written, the Bible's not written to you as an individual. It's written to us as a, pe- as a people. And over and over in the New Testament, we see these one another's and each other's, like love one another, serve one another, forgive each other. And you really can't do that by yourself. the The, the advent of online church has made us think that church is really about downloading information and having this personal experience with God But the truth is, church is really about being this family that's gathering together in love. And we can't do that by ourselves. Secondly, a lot of people think that the gathering, the church service, is about me or you coming as an individual to get something rather than to be there and give something. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But thirdly, um, the gathering is really not about me. It's about We. It's about intentionally thinking about others. Look how the author says it. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Let's intentionally think deeply about each other and how we can stir each other up and about how we can stir each other up to love and to good works. That word provoke, you can almost think of like blowing on a fire, on a campfire to make it burn and glow. And and we're to do that. We're to love each other in order that it might stir up each other's love, that we show the love of God through our words and actions. I'm always so encouraged on Sunday evenings when I see people serving without wanting to get credit and people helping each other and going the extra mile. And as I I think about just the building that we're in. As I think about different spaces, I think about different people who are serving and loving each other in those spaces. But for some reason, Paul and Becky Gearhart came to mind. I love I love Paul and Becky in the way that they love people in the church. Becky often sings on the worship team. But what I love about watching Becky is she she goes out into the congregation and rather than like, resting or isolating before she worships. She's always talking with people and smiling and like getting to know people and enjoying them. And I love that about her. And I love Paul. Paul, often while Becky's leading, he's watching his girls or he's teaching Sunday school. But Paul has been staying after, even though he's not part of the worship team and helping the worship team break down their stuff. And I, I see that I'm like, man, that's it. That's provoking other people to love and good works by loving and doing good works yourself. So often we can think like good works are all about show. And it's like, so, okay, I guess we won't do them. It's like, no, let's learn to do them for the right reasons. Because when we do good things in service to each other, it stokes the fire in our church. We, we don't do good works to point to us as good. We do good works because God is good and it's beautiful to serve. And so maybe even part of you stepping into the love of Sunday evening is saying, I want to pledge myself on love to someone else by committing to a service team, but joining the AV team and learning to run slides or being on the worship team or the kids team or the welcome team. That's a great way to express the love to each other. The gathering is about gospel-fueled love. The passage ends by saying, let us not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, as we think about that funny sign, go to church or the devil will get you. uh, This passage kind of says it in a different way. It says, don't make it a habit to not gather. Like it should be your habit more that you're part of the gathering, not to prove something to God or anybody else, but out of love, to be there and encourage each other by committing yourself to being there. A lot of times, God has a purpose for you in being there. When we're together, we never know what he's going to use that we say or do to encourage someone else. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor uh, who speaks every week, sometimes I think even in my sermons that, man, this part of the sermon is going to be really encouraging. And then someone comes out to me, like and some little flippant comment I made is what actually encourages them. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't even think that was of substance. But it's the same for you. You might not want to come on a Sunday, but God might have a reason for you to be there, something you can't see or plan. He uses you to encourage someone else. So let me encourage you to choose the gathering. If you're tired, still choose the gathering. If you're hurting or you're in conflict with someone else in the church, choose the gathering. We have the power of the gospel. We are a people whose purpose is worship, and we're pledged to love one another. And even as we think about it, it's really amazing that Jesus shows up every Sunday to meet us. He doesn't need us, but he's pledged himself to us. At the end of the book of Matthew, he says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So maybe we could flip that sign up on its head. It said, go to church or the devil will get you. Maybe we could say, let's choose to gather as the church because Christ loves us and he's committed to us. And we can express that loving commitment to each other by choosing the gathering. As the worship team comes up, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your commitment to us Lord, we pray that you would help us to serve one another, put each other above our own interests, and think not only of ourselves, but think about just being the people of God that starts with gathering as the people of God. And so we pray that you would empower us, you would help our church to grow, both from people who don't have a church home and those who don't yet know you. We would long to see our church gathering grow, and we would long to see a deeper commitment. from the people here to love one another. We pray all this in your name, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.